Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. I hope you're having a great day, everybody. It's Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, and on that world-famous Raiders mobile app. Do you have the mobile app? My dad has it in Naples, Florida, because he can just be on the golf course with his phone and click on the radio in the upper corner there and listen to me live as he's hitting golf balls. So it's that cool. You know, I never thought in my career, I've been doing this a while, that we'd have an app that works. You know, there's a couple things. Most people don't make money on podcasts. I'm lucky I do. Most people don't have streaming. And we wouldn't have streaming. We do have it. We have it. We kind of have it. But now we have it on steroids because the Raiders put it up on their mobile app where they have millions of followers. So it really helps us a lot in the offseason as we're waiting for football season to start. And when you don't make the playoffs, and the Raiders just did, thank God, when you don't make the playoffs, the offseason's long. Bobby and I were just talking about it. And offseason's damn long when you don't make the playoffs, man. It ends right around. It used to end on New Year's Eve. They pushed it back a week. Ends in the first week in January. You're not playing real games until September. That's a long offseason. The Raiders got to the playoffs. They got eliminated by a team that is in the AFC Championship game. Now, that would not surprise me if you told me the Raiders got eliminated by the Chiefs. Or the Buffalo Bills, and those teams made it to the AFC Championship game. But they got eliminated by Cincinnati. And it's my theory, and I know a lot of people agree with me, that if the Raiders would have beat Cincinnati, they would have beat Tennessee. They would have. I think they would have got to Ryan Tannehill. Derrick Henry wasn't healthy. And they could have had a game where they could have hung around and had a puncher's chance and stole an opportunity. Stole an opportunity. And I think that's a lost opportunity for the Raiders. The Raiders got a good draw. They got a really good draw after eliminating the Chargers to play Cincinnati and potentially Tennessee, and they blew it. They didn't play well. In the one game they needed to play well, they did not play well. I don't think Joe Burrow had a massive game either. He didn't throw for 300 yards, and Chase didn't have a touchdown, and they didn't win. Inadvertent whistle, inadvertent whistle. And the fact that they threw short of the goal line on fourth down with the season on the line. Anybody anybody get over that yet? Because I haven't. Anybody get over that play yet? I still haven't gotten over that. How Waller and Renfro were in the flat on fourth down. I don't think I'll ever get over that. So with all that pending, now the Raider offseason is underway as they're interviewing candidates. I have nothing new to tell you today other than the fact that a couple of other teams have made some hires. But the breaking news as we hit the air is that Sean Payton is stepping down as the head coach of the Saints. And I think that there's a chance, and I want to be the first one to say it on the radio. I got to be the first when I can. I was the first with Gronk to Tampa, the first with AB to Tampa, been the first a few times. I don't think he would have left if he didn't have a team in mind. I think that Sean Payton is trying to put together his exit strategy Because he's not going to be great on TV. Come on. You see Drew Brees on TV? What a disaster that was with that Raider game. That was a disaster. It's not like Sean Payton's going to leave coaching. He's not a Hall of Famer yet. He could be. He's not going to go to the Hall of Fame with one ring. He needs another one. He's not done. He's under the Bill Parcells tree. So he's got a good tree underneath him. Sean Payton's a hell of a coach. So 
I believe that Sean Payton is making this move. It's a game of chess. So he can get out of the Saints as they're rebuilding and have some really bad contracts. And their cap situation is a disaster. Their cap situation was a disaster during COVID at the end of the regular season as they were trying to figure out the cap as they were playing games. So they're a mess. And I think he's stepping down because the Taysom Hill experiment. Michael Thomas, they gave $40 million guaranteed to. He didn't play in two years. I don't think he thinks he can win. So maybe this is his first move to step back. But remember, he is property of the New Orleans Saints. He is the Saints. You'd have to trade for him. You'd have to give up something to get him. And I think he's worth doing that around the league. I think there's a lot of teams that would trade for Sean Payton. So that's the breaking news today. I don't think, remember, this guy lost a year of his career for Bounty Gate. Remember that. He, he was already suspended for a year, and he still has Hall of Fame credentials. So Sean Payton is stepping aside, and New Orleans needs a new coach. I believe that Dennis Allen deserves it. Dennis Allen, former head coach of the Raiders, who's turned out to be a great defensive coordinator. He's considered the leading candidate, and Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn for that vacant head coaching job, according to Ian Rappaport, about 44 minutes ago. So uh, Ian Rappaport talks about Sean Payton. He's under contract through 2024 with the Saints. If another team wanted to swoop in, they would need to compensate New Orleans, but that's a conversation for next offseason. So uh, Sean Payton's going to be available next offseason. I don't know what the market's going to be for him in regards to draft picks. But in this league now, a lot of people don't care about draft picks. They want to get stars and they want to get coaches. And maybe it's worth the trade. Also, Ryan Poles is going to be the Bears' new general manager. So we'll see what happens there. From the McCaskey family hiring Ryan Poles, we'll dig into his career a little bit later on. So that's pretty much the breaking news today. Everything that is happening. Uh, He's the Chiefs Executive Director of Player Personnel. And he will be the Bears' new GM. And look, if you've been with the Chiefs and you've been in player personnel with the players that they have, you'd be pretty impressed. You'd be pretty impressed with what they've been able to do. So that's what we're doing as we're opening up the show and we're waiting for Raiders breaking news. And it's my job to come up with some Raider topics mixed in with the national topics that I'm talking about to keep you all involved. We'll have Jeff Sherman, the VP of Risk Management at the Superbook at the Westgate, hearing about... 40 minutes. He's going to join us talking about the moving lines. And America's favorite sports better, Bill Krakenberger at Crack Wins. And he sent me a note about coming on today because we talk about sports betting. I'm going to be getting into that space a little bit more with some other stuff I'm working on. And again, I'm not a gambler. So for those who say, what are you doing? I'm going to interview people who gamble so you don't get ripped off anymore. You're watching people that don't know what the hell they're talking about. I've been talking about gambling and sports for 25 years. We're going to try to put on the sharpest people on a different platform, potentially, to talk about this, the do's and don'ts. It's pretty easy. All I'm going to do is be reading the lines and talking to experts and getting their opinion on how to help you make money. And I've been doing that at a high level for a long period of time. We'll just continue to do it. Uh, Bill uh, reminded me. He said, be careful of all these companies hiring people who are lifetime losers to tell people what to bet. Careful who you trust, especially on social media. Listen to this. Remember that only 0.1% of sports bettors turn a profit long-term. That means 99.9% of those who bet on sports are lifetime losers. 
Think of that stat from America's favorite sports gambler. I'm going to interview him in about an hour and 15 minutes about that note, about why are people lining up to gamble on the NFL? Why are you watching television in every commercial? Everyone is DraftKings FanDuel. DraftKings stock has gotten destroyed in the last month. And everybody's looking around going, what's happening here? They're giving away money. These gaming companies are giving away money for everybody they sign up. One company is giving away $2,100 in cost and fees and free play for every client they sign up. I'm in the stock market. That usually doesn't pay out. you got to find a way to make money money and make profit. What they're trying to do is hook people long-term to gamble because they're going to lose. But more importantly, what I like about sports gambling is they want people to have fun. That's all they want to do. They want you to go watch football games and have a good time, have a little skin in the game. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it's a beautiful thing. And then we'll talk to a couple other guests that Bobby is working on, which we'll try to find out. Ryan Harris, who won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, on the offensive line for the Denver Broncos. We're going to try to get him on. And also Sam Munson from Pro Football Focus. He's going to check in later. He's fantastic. They got a really good podcast. So one of the things I've been talking about this offseason is Derek Carr. It's very polarizing, but if I don't talk about Derek Carr at all, you're not going to listen. And I'm in the business of getting you to listen. I want you to listen on the radio so I have to come up with topics that I think are engaging without stirring the pot. So when it comes to Derek Carr, let me get this out of the way in case some of his golf buddies are listening. I'd like to see Derek Carr back. I think you can win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. Put that in a promo in three, two, and one. I'd like to see Derek Carr back. I think you can win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. That being said, Derek Carr was nowhere near top 10 when it came to MVP odds. So MVP odds throughout the course of the year, who's going to win the MVP, were the likes of names like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Jonathan Taylor, Patrick Mahomes, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, and Derek is not on that list, which is okay. Because back in the day, Jeff Hostetler, Trent Dilfer, they were on no MVP list either. And Rich Gannon was an MVP. So I talked to someone yesterday off the record. Just what does that mean off the record? Well, it's people that want to talk to me, but they don't want me to use their name on the radio. And someone told me off the record, they said, remember what Gannon did at this time in his career. Gannon was a journeyman journeyman backup quarterback and when he started he showed a couple of games where he looked really good so he intrigued the league he intrigued the Vikings the Chiefs and then the Raiders went out and got him and Rich by work ethic alone developed into an MVP an MVP in the league and was almost a two-time MVP winning the MVP in the NFL is a tremendous honor and he led the Raiders to the playoffs multiple times and led the Raiders to the Super Bowl The only thing that hurts Rich's legacy is he played poorly in a Super Bowl. He had five interceptions in a Super Bowl. That's a bad performance, and he's taken ownership about that. But when the Raiders were at their best with Rich Gannon, which was a long time ago, we're talking 20 years ago, the Raiders had an MVP quarterback quarterback with an opportunity to win the Super Bowl. So what I want to do today is I want to compare Rich Gannon to Derek Carr at both stages in their career. I have their ages in front of me. I have their stats. And I want to hear from the Raider fans, Raider Nation, who's listening. If you are old enough to remember Rich Gannon in his MVP year and leading the Raiders to back-to-back AFC championship games and a Super Bowl, if you believe that Derek Carr has the ability to be better than Rich Gannon when it comes to one topic, the playoffs, 
Just the playoffs, because Derek got the team to the playoffs twice. Hasn't won a playoff game yet, but he got him there twice. Rich Gannon wasn't taking teams to the playoffs at this time because he wasn't a starting quarterback when Derek Carr was a perennial starting quarterback, a Pro Bowl quarterback. So both Rich and Derek have different projections of their career. And I really like the way Rich Gannon played on the back end of his career, which is another important topic, which is advantageous to Derek Carr. Gannon played much better at the end of his career than the beginning or middle of his career, correct? Gannon was a journeyman backup quarterback early in the middle of his career. Then he became a perennial Pro Bowler. He won the Pro Bowl MVP twice when they actually played the Pro Bowl and they actually tackled. And that was a pretty cool award that he won. And and Derek is the type of player that can make the Pro Bowl. He can make the Pro Bowl as an alternate and Derek's got the ability to go to the Pro Bowl next year and the year after that. But he is not a perennial MVP candidate. Rich Gannon was for a couple of years in the league. So I think that's an interesting topic to bring up because they're both statistically two of the greatest Raider quarterbacks of all time. The other ones are Jim Plunkett and Ken Stabler, who both won Super Bowls. Jim Plunkett won multiple Super Bowls. But Derek's in a unique situation, too. Derek's had a lot of high-profile turnover at the head coaching position, the GM position, and a lot of the roster has turned over throughout the course of his career. I've said this again. Derek Carr did not have the roster that Rich Gannon had. When Rich Gannon had three deep at, to- three deep at running back, he had Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, and he had really good players on defense, even on the back end of their career. Rod Woodson, Bill Romanowski. Trace Armstrong. You can go down the list. Raiders had a lot of good players back there for Rich Gannon. And Sebastian Janikowski. Uh, you're looking at punters, Shane Leckler, the career of all the guys who overlapped that what might not have been there in the beginning of Rich, but were there. So there were different rosters. I only bring this up because someone else brought up the topic, and they said, think of that. And I said to the gentleman, I go, well, what's the topic? He said, the topic's simple. Can Carr get to where Gannon got? And I said, I think he can. He says, okay, then go sign him. Sign him long-term, but if you don't think you can get to where Gannon got, you got to get out of the deal. So I don't agree that you got to get out of the car deal. I don't know what his money's going to be. I never get involved in Derek's money. None of my business. He doesn't get involved with mine. I don't make 20 to $30 million a year and maybe 40 Derek never has to worry about money the rest of his life. He can get paid to be an NFL quarterback another 10 years. He won't play for less than $30, $35 million a year. Think of that dollar figure compared to Stabler, Gannon, Plunkett, Flores, LaMonica, and all the other legends who's played for the Silver and Black. So this is not a topic to stir the pot. What it is is a topic to get you to think about the evolution of Gannon when he couldn't get the Raiders somewhere and then he got him somewhere. And it's the same exact thing with Derek. Derek took a big natural step, got the team to the playoffs and was healthy to play in the playoff game, did not win the playoff game. Gannon got the Raiders to the playoffs and played brilliantly in the playoffs to advance the team to two championship games and a Super Bowl. Isn't that exactly what Derek has to do? I mean, exactly? He's got to do what Gannon did. Gannon got him there, and then Gannon took the next step. Can Carr take that next step? And I think there's a lot of people that know what I mean by that. Well, everything's got to get better. You can't take a step back with personnel. you got to get Derek a better offensive line. Man, I love that Gannon offensive line. Mo Collins, Barrett Robbins, Lincoln Kennedy, Frank Middleton. Everybody remember that offensive line? 
2001, 2002, going into the 2003 Super Bowl, man, that offensive line was good. And you had running backs who can run and get that yard or two running behind Lincoln Kennedy, running behind Barrett Robbins. Barrett Robbins was a brilliant player until he imploded at the Super Bowl and obviously had that big issue. And what happened there, which was very unfortunate, I think it affected the Super Bowl and cost the Raiders the Super Bowl. I'm one of the people that believes that if Barrett Robbins was available in the Super Bowl, calling out the coverages for Rich Gannon, Rich wouldn't have been in a lot of situations he was, forcing balls into coverage. But then again, they got Rich all day. They got him all day there, and it was a blowout. So it's hard to go down that road. So that's where we are today. Uh, the hockey, we got to get the hockey, Bobby, in the monologue. That was a great shutout win. Fantastic shutout win for the Vegas Golden Knights, where one goal was all they needed as they won the game one nothing. Fantastic. You know, this goal that came, I thought early, I looked at this and I said, well, there's going to be three or four goals by each team in this game. Washington's got some snipers. This was the game winner. There's a little other try. It's out in front and they score. It rattled into the slot. And there for the loose puck was, I don't know, Gary. Who Michael Amadio again. Michael Amadio. Look at that. A dirty, dirty, greasy goal was the difference. Robin Leonard was brilliant in this game. Fantastic performance by Leonard to get rolling here to stop Ovechkin, one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Five on three is it. Ten seconds. Cross to the left and a one-time shot. Leonard the save. And he covers the loose puck. Robin Leonard to his right stops it. Alexander Ovechkin. Great save there, and VGK was able to hold on to win this game. one nothing. Uh, first shutout of the year. Very important win for Robin Leonard. And this was a game they had to have, and I was shocked. It is the first shutout of the year. Five seconds left. Rimmed around. It's on the right boards. Out of the area. And Mark pokes at it, and the clock will run out. And this one is over. Shutout for Robin Leonard. The Knights down the Capitals one nothing. Nice job, Dan Duba, on the call. I love the Golden Knights. They're my hockey team. I gave up the team of my youth because the Knights moved here, became an inaugural expansion team. I got jerseys. My wife watches the games. We love them. That's why we go to PT's, best happy hour in town, 5 to 7. Midnight to 2, you watch Vegas Golden Knight games. They're a proud partner. All their taverns are packed, and you can go there and watch the Vegas Golden Knights. I love the Golden Knights. This has got to be the Stanley Cup year. Come on, Bobby. Come on, Bobby. I've been waiting too long. I've been waiting my – oh, I've only been waiting five years. No, they got to win this year. They're an all-star team. They're an all-star team. They are an all-star team when healthy. They don't even have Jack Eichel yet, one of the best players in hockey. But it's all going to come down to Leonard. You wanted to get rid of Marc-Andre Fleury? You want to get rid of him? It all comes down to Robin Leonard. All right, let's get rolling. We start in the Bay Area. Raider Jay, you're up first. What's happening, buddy? What's up, brother? Hey, man, you're a hard man to get a hold of. I've been trying to call you ever since our last game. Good season. You know, we won, we won championships, but you know what? We, we outplayed the Bengals. We outrushed them. We outgained them. We outpassed them. Derek, he finally threw 300 yards. He hadn't done that in four weeks, and we still lost because we didn't play a clean game. That fumble wasn't Derek's fault. You know, he fumbled a lot this year. It was the offensive line. I don't know about this, Rodgers. Uh, Packers is my second team. Uh, my mom lives in Wisconsin. I've been going back there for 37 years. And I lost a lot of money, JT. I got to go to the bowling alley and pay all these Niner fans tonight, <laughs> man. And I'm not happy about it. But, uh, you know, I, I have the same train of thought as you. You know, I, I agree with about 90% of stuff you say. Hmm. And, you know, I thought we would have beat the Titans, man. Yeah. I really do. Tannehill's a joke. To me, 
the best fit, if they if we go after Russell Wilson or Rodgers, I think Derek would thrive in the Titans. Or Green Bay, he doesn't play good in cold weather. Yeah, we're not looking. If, the big thing becomes, Jay, if Carr goes somewhere else, if he goes somewhere else, we'd all wish him well and want him yes. to do well. But we don't want him to go anywhere else unless the Raiders are going to get much better. Not better, much well, better. So that's what that's what that's the defense of Derek Carr, and that's the leverage Derek has. Is Derek knows that unless they get someone better than him, and there's only a few guys in the league clearly better than him, the Raiders take a step back. Yeah, I totally agree. The thing is, I just win, baby, is our motto. You know, mm. it's not just mediocrity. Derek hasn't done nothing. He hasn't had a defense in his defense. He had one defense. When was that? 2016. And guess what? He was the MVP of that year. I was at the game. Christmas Eve, we're all happy. We're putting a Ford burger on uh, Andrew Luck and the Colts, and he broke his leg. I seen Donald Penn. I said, his leg's broken. My dad's on. Don't say that. And I'm like, look at how Donald Penn's acting. Mm. I never heard yeah. that stadium so loud and turned yeah. to a funeral home and like a, pin, yeah. a drop of a... But you know what? I wanted to uh, tell you about the, uh, you brought up the tuck rule the other day, uh, the anniversary. Mm. I remember that game, and it was the highest of the highs and the lowest. So I had a wedding. My buddy Mike, I said, sorry, dude. Raiders, come for your wedding. I'll be at your reception. I'll see you at Dave and Buster's after we beat the <laughs> Patriots ass. And JT, to this day, you know we call it the F rule. You know, yep. and to be honest, they got that uh, Tom Brady, that ESPN Plus, the arena, and he they glossed over it. I'm like, but they're having a documentary. They're going to have the documentary. Hey, man, that what that wedding reception at Dave & Buster's. They really had the wedding reception at Dave & Buster's? Hey, man, you know what? It was my ex-boss's son. Okay. And that, that was, that was a, they have this whole ballroom. And guess what? I hooked up with my buddy Mike's sister. So what? <laughs> was it open bar? Was it open, open bar? bar. That's all, all I needed to know. Thanks, buddy. Yes, Appreciate sir. that. So Thank you. I drank up. Thank you, my friend. Good to hear from you. That, that helps now because in the modern era now of weddings, uh, young hipsters, young hipsters aren't providing open bar. I will not go to your wedding unless it's open bar. I sing at weddings. Those who know me know. I sing at weddings. I don't embarrass anyone. I sing prepared. One song. Works every time. And I want an open bar. I'm going to bring an outstanding gift. I'm not going to eat. I don't eat at weddings. My wife gets amazed by that. I go, I didn't come here to eat. I'm not sit. I stand at weddings. I dance. I sing. I go to the bar. So if you're inviting me to your wedding, I am the life of the party at a wedding. I do. I love weddings. Now, I, I haven't been to a wedding in a while because of COVID. But if you're a young hipster in the Raider Nation and you're having a wedding, you better have an open bar. We're not coming. That's part of the expenses of preparing for your wedding. You don't got to have 300 people. 400 like I did at the Monte Carlo at the time. You don't need that. Bobby knows. But you got to have an open bar. Come on. People aren't coming to your wedding to pay for drinks. They're coming there to celebrate your future with your wife or the husband, and they want to have fun. Okay? So you got to have an open bar. If not, don't have a wedding elope and save the money for a house, which a lot of hipsters are doing now. Rocky Mountain Raider out in Denver. Go ahead. How you doing, JT? Doing well. Hey, thanks for having me on. Real quick, something that a lot of people I don't feel like are talking enough about with this whole Derek Carr situation is you look at, and people keep bringing up Gannon. We just talked about Gannon and what he did to elevate the Raiders. Gannon had arguably three number one wide receivers on that roster with Jerry Rice, Tim Brown, and Joey Porter. And when in Carr's career has he had a true number one refined wide receiver? 
And all weekend long, everybody's saying this is what the Raiders have up, what they're up against. And I'm not worried about the Raiders competing with other quarterbacks. They need a playmaker. They need. Well, to they've play- tried. They try. Wait, wait. Hard. They they got rugs. They got Antonio Brown. It's not like they right. they didn't try. Those were well thought right. out decisions. Antonio Brown, best receiver in the game. He imploded. Then rugs. We know what happened there. So they've attempted to go do that. Right. It's not like they're blowing Derek off, saying we're not going to get you anyone other than Hunter Renfro. They're trying to do that, and I expect them to go after Devontae Adams, even though he could get franchise tagged, or go after another elite wide receiver this year. Yeah, you know, and, and that's what I'm hoping they do. And I know that it hasn't been from lack of effort, but mm-hmm. when we got a bunch of Raiders, faith, Raider faithful saying cars got to go, I mean, the mm-hmm. guy literally willed us to the playoffs with a roster that's worse than a lot of rosters that guys like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, all these other guys have. He willed the Raiders to the playoffs this year with great leadership. Uh, obviously, Coach Rich was a part of that, but they ha- people have to understand I love what Aaron Rodgers said a few weeks ago. The grass is greener where you water it. And us just trying to get rid of car because we think something's better, some, there's something better out there, I think it's a big mistake. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't hear a lot of that. I don't hear a lot of people saying we're trying to get rid of car. Not we, the Raiders, are trying to get rid of them. Mike Mayock said it how many times? How many times did he say it to me on radio? We evaluate every position. The new GM is going to come in and evaluate Derek Carr to his liking. I would think that all these new GMs, I would assume, but you don't want to assume, but I would assume that most of the GMs who are coming in, one of their big decisions are going to be, I'm not taking the job without Derek Carr. And there might be one or two that say, I'll take the job with Derek, but I want to have the power to move him if I find someone better. And everyone would want that. Why wouldn't you want that deal? I think most of them would say, yeah, we're pretty good with Derek. Let's go. Let's roll this back and go with him again. It's whatever the GM wants to do. The GM coming in now has to have more power than Mike Mayock had. And Mike Mayock didn't have the power that he had because I agreed with the decision that John Gruden should have had it. I was all in on Coach Gruden like the majority of fans. He was coming in out of the media to have full control of football and make decisions. And a lot of the decisions were really good. The, the email situation that took him out, the Washington football team investigation, is a story in its own. But what happened with football was no one worked harder, no one was in there earlier, no one grinded harder than him maybe ever in this sport. And all he wanted to do was coach the Raiders, and it didn't work out. He had a lot of power. I would assume that the new GM will have more power than Mike Mayock had under John Gruden. And there were times that Gruden and Mayock worked well. We're never going to know what happened with Mayock until he speaks. Let's cut to the chase there, too. That's another thing that no one seems comfortable talking about. If Mike Mayock wants to take the high road, which I think he always does, he's a true pro, he'll go to his next job. He'll go back to NFL Network, he'll go to his next job, and he will be very successful, mark my word. But if he wants to to steer off and tell everybody about what picks he actually didn't make, that he thought he was forced to make, what they couldn't agree on, that would make for an enticing read. I would like to read that column if Paul Gutierrez wrote it or Vic or someone on the picks he actually chose or not. Because some of the picks were good, like Max and Renfro. Some of the picks were a bleeping disaster. Disaster, which I believe is one of the reasons why the Raiders aren't an elite team now. Because they missed on so many first-round picks. And it wasn't personal. They just missed. Bill Belichick misses on a lot of first-round picks. A lot of coaches do. It's hard to draft in this league. All right, that's the monologue, long one. 
We'll get to all your phone calls on the other side. Uh, Ryan Harris, Sam Monson, our good friend Jeff Sherman. Want to find out where the money's going in these games early and how you're going to bet the NFC Championship game. A couple of friends I know got a futures ticket on the Niners to win it all, and they're feeling good about it. Will they hedge? We'll talk to Jeff coming up in a little, a little bit. We're brought to you by Grimaldi's. Five locations in the Valley. Best pizza I've ever had. Empty shotgun look. Stafford has it. Again, a four-man rush from the Buccaneers. Deep drop. Big throw. Down the right side. Cooper cuts all alone. He caught it at the 30 to the 20. Cuts inside. 10-5. Touchdown, Cooper Cup. Touchdown, L.A. Rams Radio on the call. JT back with you. Brought to you by Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. Charles Woodson built his legend on the gridiron throughout his storied collegiate and professional career and now takes that same dedication to his new craft, the Spirit Line, Woodson Bourbon Whiskey, fantastic and all-American bourbon whiskey, proud partner of our show as we get rolling here. So as I opened up the show to call the uh, call to action today is do you think Derek Carr can evolve into the quarterback that Gannon was in the playoffs? Simple question, yes or no? Explain why. Do you think that Carr has the arc in his career to do what Gannon did when Gannon got to the postseason with the Raiders? Different era, different time, I get it. Different coaching staff, different city. But it's the modern era now where all these quarterbacks are being judged by playoff wins. Do you believe that Derek can get to the level that Gannon did 20 years ago once he got to the postseason. 702-365-9200 is where you should be getting in. This is the Raider flagship. We talk to Raider fans. Passionate Raider. Go ahead. Thanks for waiting. Good afternoon, JT. Yeah, good topic today, man, because it's just been something that everyone likes to talk about, man. And, you know, I, I've been with this team, JT, since I've been – I'm 42 years old, man. And, and I, the only winning seasons I've had – is Rich Gannon's career. That was the highlight of my Raider career as a Raider fan. So seeing the way Rich operated back then and to the way Derek operated back then, I mean, he did, we said it, he had Pro Bowl wide receivers. He was more stacked in with the offense. He had a young John Gruden. So things are a lot different. But what makes me so mad about Derek is it's just some of the things that he still does in year eight that he did in year four, five, and six. And I don't know if some of those things are coachable to teach because you know what elite quarterbacks are elite quarterbacks. Average players are average players. So my fear is if we go ahead and sign Derek to another four-year extension, yada, 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 whatever, and he doesn't produce and we didn't trade him to get some value going forward, if it is a new coaching staff, did we, did we waste 12 years of Raider football on one guy? I just hope, you know – I just hope the right decisions. It's a slim pickings right now for the quarterback world. I wish Derek all the best. Mm-hmm. I hope we can get some players in here that can help him, and maybe he can prove us wrong. But sometimes, some guys just don't have that it factor. And it's, it's just it's reality. But who's ever under center next year, JT, who's ever hiking, us the, hiking the ball, throwing the place, you know I'm hiring Raiders to the day I die. So I, I just want to win, JT. That's mm-hmm. it, man. Yeah. I just want to win. 
Well, that's it. Have a good day, buddy. Yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out. How do you win? I'm looking back at Gannon's career, which started in 1987 with Minnesota and went all the way to 92. The most games he started with Minnesota was 12 in 1990 and in 1992. And for Rich in those years, you know, he's a 2,000-yard thrower, 16 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, 92. He had 12 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Then he went to the Washington Redskins and started four games and was one and three. So Rich's career was pretty much over in 1993. And everybody talked about Carr's first eight years. He started off 0-10. It was a tough start to Derek's career, and he turned it around. Played at a high level, but Rich was a journeyman. 1995, he went to Kansas City. He played two games. He didn't start one. He had seven completions on 11 attempts. Okay, you want to hear my definition of a journeyman? Rich Gannon, 96. He started three games. On the season, on the season, he completed 98 passes. But then in 1998 with Kansas City, he went 5-5. and In that year, Rich had a pretty good year. He threw for 2,305 yards, 10 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. But then the Oakland years, 1999, 16 games, 16 started. 8-8, eight and eight, 3,840 yards, 24 touchdowns, 14 picks. Year 2000, started all 16 games, he went 12-4. 3,430 yards, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. 2001, this 2001 with the Raiders, 10 and 6, 27 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. 2002, the MVP season, 4,689 yards, 26 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. The Raiders were 11 and 5. So with the Raiders, his big years were 99 through 2002. He went 8 and 8. 12 and 4, 10 and 6, 11 and 5. Then the last two years' injuries, he started seven games and then three. He was 2 and 5 and 2 and 1, he was gone. All we're looking for is for Derek to have the run that Gannon had from 2000 to 2002. Those three seasons changed his entire legacy. Everything changed with Gannon in three seasons after a long career. He had a wait from 1987 to the year 2000 to prove to this league he could play. And then he did, and he was a multiple MVP, and the guy played at a high level and played in the Super Bowl. Let's get out to Nash in Houston. How are you, Nash? Doing terrific, JT. Short answer is yes, he he can do it. Mm -hmm. Certainly needs some help around him, but going back to your conversation last week, whoever the new GM is, I think that's the most critical thing is sitting down with him and getting a club-friendly deal so that you can go out and get another offensive lineman. You can get a uh, Devontae Adams. And then I, other thing, I, I think Greg Olson's a good quarterback coach, but I think you need a new voice as an offensive coordinator, somebody else a little bit different to maybe give him a few less checks or whatever at the line. Mm-hmm. So, again, like you say all the time, that we can snap the ball with less than two seconds on the clock and play faster. And they had the opportunity to do that with Greg, and they just didn't do it. Uh, so I, I just think they need a new voice, but I think he can do it. Well, that'll be the decision of the GM with the coaching staff, keeping Rich Passaccia and what Rich Passaccia would want or going in a new di- direction with a brand-new head coach. If it's a defensive guy like a Gerard Mayo, then the defense, unfortunately, would have to get overhauled. A lot of defensive coaches who I like wouldn't be there. And I'm friends with a lot of the offensive coaches. I know the offensive side of the ball a little bit better over the years. And I think there's probably going to be change. 
There's probably going to be change at some point. What you said at the end about the speed that Derek should play in, did you see what Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes did in the final three minutes of that game? Did you see the speed of the game and how fast they played? The lack of huddling, the sense of urgency. All you got to do is say, can Derek do what Josh Allen and Mahomes did? That's all you got to say. Look in the mirror, find a mirror in your house, and say, can Derek do what Josh Allen did and Mahomes did in the final three minutes of the game? And I think the fair answer is, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. Can he do it all the time if he has to? That's the question that the Raiders have to figure out with him. I would think he'd want to do it more. That's why I'm in shock every time the play clock goes down to one or two. And I'm like, why isn't he playing faster? He's one of the smartest guys in the league at the line of scrimmage. Why aren't they checking into better plays instead of conservative run plays? I don't know. There's a system in place. I think a lot of it had to do with the offensive line that struggled, if you want to go down that road. We're brought to you by Five Iron Golf inside Area 15. Clark Harris will snap it back to Kevin Huber for the win. The snap, the put down, the swing of the right leg. It's on its way. It is good. Coffin nails. Bam, bam, bam. That is unbelievable. 54 and 52 at the gun. That is unrealism right there. And the Bengals advance to the final four AFC championship game, Dan. Bengals in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City. JT, back with you coming off an epic weekend. Always a pleasure to welcome in Jeff Sherman, the VP of Risk Management over at the Superbook at the Westgate. Jeff, let's jump right in with last weekend. Historically for you being in this business, behind the counter, every one of the customers out in front, what was that football experience like for you? I've never seen anything like it, to tell you the truth. I mean, all the way from the games on Saturday where you had the two underdogs winning outright, and then in the Sunday with the drama in both games. Uh, you know, an interesting thing for us, we try to get the, the next week lines up as early as we can. And we put up uh, a line involving the, uh, the Rams and San Francisco in the third quarter when it was 27-3 to in the Tampa game. Mm. Uh, obviously, Tampa came back and tied it up. And we've never had it where we put up a line early and had to close it and put up a new matchup. But we were right there on the cusp of that. So the drama was just unbelievable this weekend. I want to go with the Cincinnati win over Tennessee. Was Tennessee tied to a lot of parlays? Did a lot of the public think Tennessee would win that game easily? Was there any sharp money coming in late on the Bengals? There was sharp money and public money both on Tennessee. We opened that game Tennessee two and a half immediately got bet up to three, and then we took large wagers at three. Uh, we took 100000 minus three and a half. We got up to four and closed Tennessee four, and that game was one of our largest decisions we've had the entire season. So it was all Titan support. Any uh, Cincinnati money line in that game coming in? Uh, we had a little bit on it just because hmm. you get an attractive price, and usually at this stage of the playoffs, you'll tend to see people just take the plus money. So. Um, you know, it used to get condensed in past years, but 
these money lines are really correlative to uh, what the point spreads are now more so than ever. Jeff Sherman is our guest. So let's move on to San Francisco and Green Bay and what you saw the entire week. You know, you hear these urban myth legends about 49er fans coming in late back when there wasn't much nationally going on. Now you got New York and the whole country where Niner fans would pound the number late to move the number there. I knew a lot of fans and friends that loved Green Bay the entire time, especially with the weather and Aaron Rodgers and once again, Jimmy G in that running game with Debo, the ability to steal it on the road. Yeah, we had some sharp money on the 49ers plus six, but then when we were at five and a half, it was pretty much all Green Bay. And this line right before game time crept back up to six. So a lot of people got involved with Green Bay money line and and minus five and a half a lot. So, uh, again, that was a good result for the book with the Niners outright, but not quite like it was for the Titans. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate in Vegas, the Superbook. So should I assume that there was some good – in-game wagering going on when Brady was down 27-3. Did people jump in on that, thinking Brady had a chance to come back and make history again? Yeah, there's no doubt they did. You know, And it was at a point when it was 27-3 where we didn't have a money line up on the game, but there was a lot of points for that action when they were taking Tampa Bay plus 14, uh, plus 8.5, all the way throughout, just because they've seen it happen before against Atlanta in the Super Bowl. So you had that support, and... Man, just the drama this weekend, it was just amazing. All right, Jeff, so I'm not. I'm just going to step back and listen to you on the whole Buffalo-Kansas City game. From before the game, the line leading up to the week, any line movement, the total, what happened when that game started to get out of control with about three or four minutes to go in the fourth quarter? Yeah, we opened the Chiefs one and a half, and that's where we stayed uh, most of the time. And then we saw a lot of Chiefs support at the end, and it rose to two and a half. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of two-way action on that. It was tremendous. It wasn't too much of a large decision like you'd see in other games because both teams were just so public. And all the way throughout with the in-progress wagering, when Kansas City was up, Buffalo was coming back, and then it looks like Buffalo's going to win. We just had so much action back and forth, and the energy in the room was just phenomenal. I mean, just people didn't know what was going to happen, and it looked like you had finality to it, and then you didn't. And uh, We just haven't seen anything like that where – you left the Rams-Tampa game with the suspense that that had had, and then this one tops that. So uh, it was just it was amazing from all perspectives. Jeff Sherman, VP of Risk Management over at the Superbook at the Westgate. So let's talk about both games coming up. We'll start with the AFC Championship game. Kansas City stuck at seven pretty much everywhere, but you set the line there, the best one at the Superbook. A lot of support there for Kansas City, minus seven. Do you think that moves to seven and a half or could get to eight? So far, a lot of support on the Chiefs. You know, we opened seven. We're still sitting there. I don't think you're going to see much. If anything, it's going to go up. It's not going to go down. You're not going to see six and a half like you saw at some shops. Um, Mm -hmm. There's some seven and a half prices out there right now. So if anything, it might creep up. I don't think you're going to see an eight. But seven looks like a pretty solid number. What we're seeing mostly is money line support on Kansas City. And we're at minus 335 on the Chiefs, plus 275 on the Bengals. But we're really not writing much on the Bengals. It's all Chiefs on the money line. A lot of movement on that total. I see you have it at 54 after everybody just watched Kansas City just uh, score with 13 seconds to go to get to overtime. A lot of betters see that, and they think they can put up a big number and score a lot of points. Yeah, we opened 50 and a half. We're actually up to 54, so this is one that we uh, made wow. a bad number on. So we've had quite a few, quite a movement on that total itself. And, you know, we saw these two teams just play recently in, in Cincinnati and they went over this posted total. So you're going to see support from that perspective. So we misjudged that a little bit, but we're sitting at 54 right now. We had, we got as high as 54.5 and, and saw some sharp play under 54.5, but 
uh, steady at 54 right now. Rams three in the hook. That three and a half really important for betters when they take a look at that. Where's the money coming in so far on Rams 49ers, considering the 49ers feel like a real live dog coming off winning at Lambeau? Yeah, this is the crazy one that I mentioned earlier, where during the third quarter of the Rams-Tampa game, we opened the Rams minus four. And when they were up by such a large margin, we actually saw some Rams minus four support. But then as the comeback happened, we lowered it down to Rams minus three. And we were sitting there for a while, and then we settled at three and a half. But if you're at three and a half, you're getting 49er support. If you're at three, you're getting Rams support. So you're going to see the variations of those lines with prices associated with them. And right now we thought a better booking number is Rams minus three and a half even. That way, if the game does land three, we're paying off both sides of the tickets and not just refunding it. So we're, we're trying to book on three and a half right now. But there definitely is going to be a lot of 49er support, especially on the money line, which we're sitting at plus 155 right now. Jeff Sherman, as we wrap it up, NBA, a lot of fans fading. The Lakers, what have you seen with the money now when it comes to Phoenix, Golden State, and especially Chicago, Chicago and Cleveland in the Eastern Conference with the world champ Milwaukee Bucks? And i got to mention Brooklyn. Looks like that team's starting to tear a little bit in regards to Kyrie not coming back in New York. Yeah, Brooklyn, I'm as high as 4-1 to one now. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I've eased Chicago out to 40 to 1 with the struggles they're going through, whether it's injury or COVID, because they're coming back to the pack now and they're right in the mix with Milwaukee. I'm still sitting at 7 to 1. Cleveland, very respectable. They've been consistent this year. You know, you keep thinking that this young team is going to fold and, and give in to some of these better teams that are ahead of them, but they're right there, a game and a half back in the East, and I'm sitting at 60 to 1 on them. So 25 to 1 for the East. and I still don't think that they're going to get there. I think they're a little bit premature and need some more experience, but uh, it's amazing what they're doing. You know, we had their season win total at 27.5 this season and didn't move off of it at all, but extremely low, and they're going to be the first team to go over that. Farmers Insurance at Torrey Pines, right up your alley. I wish I was there getting some last-second invites to come. And how do you turn that down? Spieth and Kepka, 35-1. to 1. John Rahm, you have it 8-1. to 1. Justin Thomas, 14-1. to 1. Shoffley, 16-1. to 1. And there's DeChambeau and DJ at 20-1. to 1. Tell me about setting the number for this great tournament. Yeah, great field. And one thing I need to remind everyone is this is a Wednesday start. It goes tomorrow. It's Wednesday Ooh. to Saturday, so they don't go up against the NFL on Sunday. So if you need to get your wagers in, you got to do it by... 9 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning, Pacific time. Uh, but it's a tremendous field. Seen a lot of support on John Rahm from 8-1 to one down to 7-1. to one. And you just go down the list. It's really deep and uh, should be exciting. You know, we get three rounds on the south course, which is tougher. Mm-hmm. One round on the easy north course. But this is a fantastic tournament. Always a great time. Great segment with you, Jeff. I'll talk to you next week heading into the Super Bowl in two weeks. Thank you. Thanks, A.T. All right, Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate, VP of Risk Management. Always a sharp segment. We appreciate him coming on. Uh, Brought to you by Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Whenever I'm talking X's and O's, it's with the Remy Martin sidecar in my hand. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Very interesting. Golf on Wednesday. Oh, I love my golf channel. Oh, love the golf channel. I like going to bed watching Yellowstone and seeing the mountains of Montana which I have to go to after seeing that. Now, I have to go. Never a Montana guy, but finished season three of Yellowstone, so I got to get up there. And then my golf channel in the morning. If you people would ever take one bit of advice from me, one, because I'm not good at advice, turn off the debaters and the screamers in the morning and wake up with golf channel and just see ocean, green fair waves, and, you know, lessons. <laughs> so nice and peaceful. The news is awful in the morning. The stock market today, 
What did the market close at? It was down almost 1,000 early, now down 113. Man, people got their heads ripped off this week in the stock market. Wake up to something peaceful.